flag on the moon. How did it get there? Hey everybody, this is Doc Mack from the Galloping Ghost Arcade, and you're listening to Pie Factory. And now it's time for the Pie Factory podcast sing-along. You can't prove that. Oh man, you're missing some notes there. I'm missing some notes all the time. It's like you've never heard me sing. Didn't you just tell everybody that you were in a choir competition in high school? Yes, I was. Did you win? I don't remember. I don't know where my medal is. I think I lost it and lost it when our basement flooded. Well, hi everybody. Pie Factory Podcast here. This is Jimmy G, and I'm coming to you. Let me think. I've already done stuff about Mazan, the high-level nuclear waste facility, Morris. Um, coming to you live. Well, no, not live. Coming to you from east of the Southmore Hill. This is Jimmy G. And coming to you uh, live, well, not live, um, east of Harwood Heights by Ooh. several miles. Um, this is... Um, um, what, what, what's my name again? Two minutes and four seconds, Sean. Two minutes and four seconds, Sean. Yeah. That's when in the recording I came up with the name. Yeah. I got actually, we're just about one second out of sync. Cause I think I got that at two Oh five. So, Oh, and of course, well, the thing is, you know, I, I think I told you this before, but a couple of months ago, Hyde started making us actually synchronize our two files before giving them to him. So, hey, that'll make it easier knowing that we're only a second apart. So, Oh, there we go. Yeah. See, Hyde, we're doing it all for you. We just appreciate you. It's just too bad that his uh, fee hasn't uh, been trimmed a little to reflect that less work he's doing. But, hey. Yeah, I guess it's his appreciation bonus. I don't know. I don't know. So, Sean. So. Sean. So. Uh, I was going to go into a cliche bit there, but I'm not going to be going to that right now. No. So, hey, what the hell have you been playing? Hell, I've been playing. What the hell have I been playing? Um, Other than the games we're talking about tonight. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I have been playing those. Um, what the heck have I been playing? Oh, you know what? Um, Not really a lot. Not really a lot because, well, I recently got a couple of additions to the Atari collection that I have Oh. Over here in Shay, two minute four seconds, Sean, or whatever the heck my name is, uh, I got a Atari CX twenty two trackball. Ooh. So uh, the only thing is, I didn't I didn't know anything about the CX twenty two itself from personal experience, other than uh, it seems to be that's what people like. They like the CX twenty two trackball. Mm-hmm. So I got that for a good price, and um, I tried the centipede trackball hack that the late Ken Siders did for the Atari 7800. And I found mm-hmm. that no matter where I rolled the trackball, no matter what direction I moved it, my little player thingy would go all the way to the right. Thingy. Uh-huh. I tried something else. I tried Star Trek strategic operations simulation on the 2600, which is really good, by the way. That's a fun game. That's a good version of it. And the trackball worked beautifully on that thing. I was like, whoa, this is really cool. I tried Fat Axel on the 7800. Trackball worked amazingly well. Huh. Turns out that you're supposed to use this uh, joystick slash trackball switch for certain mm. things, such as the centipede hack. Problem. This particular iteration of the CX-22 does not have that switch. 
It's basically permanently joystick mode. If you look on the bottom of it, there's a little thingy that's marked joystick trackball, but there's no switch. Does it have like the hole and everything there? Or it, it has it has a little teeny weeny slot, but not big enough for the switch. Would there have huh. been a switch? Apparently, it's a really, really, really early version of mm, the CX-22, can, and it has a black base, and the standard version of the CX-22 has a white base. Oh. So I was planning to play a lot of Centipede TB, but I couldn't. I couldn't because of that. I guess now you're going to have to play Centipede uh, not TB. Well, yeah. That is the question. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. Shakespeare. Um, See what I did there. <laughs> I played a little bit of Moon Cresta on the 7800 uh-huh. and sucked at it because it ain't easy. And uh, yeah, Moon Cresta is a hard game, no matter what version. Even on the easy difficulty setting, which uh, people could hear more about with episode 23 of the Atari 7800 Homebrew podcast, um, I just thought I'd give a little plug for whoever hosts that show, thought they'd appreciate it. Certainly not you, because you would not dare moonlight on this. Uh, oh, come on. I would certainly appreciate it. Hey, now, you are an all-star. Okay. Um, you were telling me the other day that you were trying to use uh, the Sega Sports Pad? Well, I've had a Sega Sports Pad for a long time, for like a year or so. But the thing is, it doesn't work very well because the trackball doesn't make contact with one of the rollers. Huh. It worked fine for a short time, but it stopped mm -hmm. making contact. So I don't know how to fix that. I don't know what to do with it. Because I used to use that all the time with the standard 7800 Centipede and an Edladen Seagull 78. It worked amazingly well like that. Mm-hmm. Now, did you have to put it in uh, in joist? What was it? Uh, control or sports there's, mode? There's some. I had to do something. I don't remember what. And, uh, and the other switch on that is for uh, single fire or rapid fire. Yeah, there's there are a couple of switches on that. I know I had to switch something to somewhere, but I don't remember how or what. And even if I were to pull that sports pad out right now, I wouldn't know because I don't know if I've switched the switch back and forth since I last used it. So. Yeah. <laughs> Is I've been uh, thinking about trying to get some sort of a, a, a I, I have that vision adapter thing, which I really love and works really well, but trying to see if there's some sort of an adapter where I can use that thing on my PC in MAME to get the full like centipede experience, if you will, or crystal castles or what have you. Because that is a fine, fine controller, but um, it's one of the better trackballs. To be honest, I don't know if there really was a bad home trackball. I've not played the, uh, the Coleco roller controller, so I can't say anything about that. But uh, really, I haven't played the Atari one, too, now that I think about it. And um, I had a Wicko trackball uh, for the 2600 way back when. And honestly, now that I think about it, that one wasn't that good. But that might just be because my expectations were different, uh, thinking that it would work just like the arcade when it just basically just emulated, you know, going left and right, you know, the digital directions, Same. if you will. Yeah. On the Atari, but, uh, because the, when you, on the, uh, the official Atari, uh, trackball, you can put it into analog mode, which is the, what was it? The trackball mode. I think you said it was called. And, um, you know, I actually have real trackball movement, but, um, I, th I think we mentioned back in the missile command episode that, uh, they hid code in missile command for the Atari eight bits so that you could actually use um, an Atari trackball on their in-trackball mode. I'd have to go back and listen to that episode, but why would I do that? I got so many podcasts I got to listen to. 
But and the um, thing is, like, all the podcasts happen to be released at the same time. That at least the ones I listen to, it's like ah, it's like they all get released at the same time, and then there's like nothing for two weeks. At least in my view, or in, in my uh, experience, as it were. And then if like a couple of them go a lot longer than usual, then it kind of pushes you back, and it's like ah. Oh yeah. And then, of course, there's always the one podcast that goes on hiatus for, like, months at a time, and you're just waiting for it to come back, and then, like, you give up hope, and then all of a sudden, one day, boom, without warning, it's in your feet again, so. We don't do that. No, we don't do that. We actually That's... warn people when we're going to go on hiatus. Yeah, we, we do. So, have you been uh, playing anything else? The Fool. Uh, I've been playing The Joker, The Smoker, and The Midnight Toker. That's what I went for is Halloween, all three of them. You should have oh. seen the costume. Oh, I, did you like my costume? I did not see. What was it? Actually, I think I did see it. I don't remember, though. All right. This might uh, jog your bell memory thingy or something. Um, I was a key grip for a major <sighs> oh, motion picture yes, starring The Rock. Yes, that was my, yes, pres- that was my yes. uh, costume. Yes, I remember that. And uh, if I ever get thin, I've never been thin in my life, ever. I've been less heavy, but if I ever get thin... My Halloween costume is going to be Charlie Chuck. Ooh, there you go. Just got to find a pair of white jeans and, and a blue shirt. Well, I have plenty of blue shirts, so yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, you could. But you also have to find a way to unhinge your jaw, too. That's only if I actually want to eat an ice cream cone. Yeah, that's true. I don't have to you do have that to do if I just want to throw uh, endless watermelons at people. Or uh, By the way, endless watermelons, isn't that the name of your new band? The, um, that was supposed to be a special announcement later on, but thank oh. you. You've ruined it. So now no announcement. Sorry, Sorry about that. Oh, <sighs> awkward. So you haven't been playing anything else, huh? Um, I don't think so. I had all Sunday to myself this past weekend. And I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I should go to replay, which is a uh, beer cade in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I didn't go. Oh, mainly because we I, need reports. I, I know. I know. And you're closer to more of these places than I am. I could walk there in like 15 minutes. The only two arcades close to me are Onet Gaming and um, uh, Chicago Street Pinball. And those are both like 15 mile drives. Although they do have a few arcade games in the back of the uh, thrift shop downtown Morris uh, called uh, Clutter. And uh, uh, yes. I believe I still have the high score on the Burger Time Machine there. Actually, oh, I think I said that recently, uh, before the Lock and Chase episode, I bought uh, Lock and Chase for the 2600 there. Oh, and yeah. I really like Lock and Chase. On the oh, man, speaking of clutter, well, everybody probably knows about that. Everybody who listens to this podcast probably knows about it by now. But uh, what about that clutter that happened in Brookfield recently? Oh, man. Boy. Yeah, but you know what? I've been playing some stuff, too, but probably don't want to know about it. <laughs> but that's fine. I think I've mentioned it before. I'm playing the Stranger Things game on my phone. Oh, yes, you did. Yeah, that uh, that game is such a freaking time sink. It's like, imagine Legend of Zelda, but in like the Stranger Things universe. It's kind of what the game is like. It's, uh, there's obviously more to it than that. It's a little more RPG-ish, action-oriented RPG-ish. I don't, I don't care much for RPGs that you got to read like a bazillion text and you got to wait to take your turn to kill something or whatever. The only RPG I've played and really, really like is the original Fantasy Star on the Sega Master System. And I think it's because there wasn't a ton of text to read. And even though all the combat was like, you know, wait your turn, it was pretty swift. I mean, it, it happened fairly quickly. It's, it, unlike a lot of RPGs, I've tried playing 
Fantasy Star 2 on the Genesis. And, uh, oh, I totally forgot to do a setting. This is a new computer, and, and it uh, went blank on me here. There we go. I have to do that right now. But, yeah, I, I, I just I, I just can't do them. It's, it's more, more than anything... It's my uh, my attention span, which I just don't have an attention span anymore, and um, that's that's just the way it is, actually. So I don't know. Anyway, so so there's that. And have I been playing anything else? Uh, I downloaded a game on my phone today called uh, Upgrade This Game Two. It's basically a space shooter, but you collect gold and update every facet of the game from graphics to your weapons to you know the main menu and splash screens and everything it's it's really simple but pretty damn addicting so mm. that was that's kind of fun i don't think i've been doing any console gaming recently uh nothing that i can think of really I haven't really done a whole whole heck of a lot yeah, most of my Video game related things. I have a couple of Sears Telegames Light Sixer Atari 2600s that I acquired over the past year. And I finally sat down and cleaned these things and I'm getting them ready to uh, AV mod too. I want to keep one of them as a backup because I always love the silver color of the, on the control panel and those things. It looks really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, using our friend Keith Sheehan's advice, I. After I did the cleaning, I I, use, I did the standard, uh, put it in soapy dishwater and soak it and scrub it and toothbrush it and everything. After it dried, I took some Armorall cleaning wipes. Not the stuff you'd get from the automotive department, but what you'd get spray. from, say, the, the, yeah, you'd get from the cleaning department at any Target or such. Uh, and, oh my God, the things look brand franking new right now. Really? And there was some I will dirt. have to try that. Yeah, there was some dirt on the uh, control panel on one of them that wouldn't come off at all. I tried alcohol. I tried uh, Lysol cleaning wipes. I, the soapy dish detergent water wouldn't do it. But the cleaning wipes, the Armor All cleaning wipes actually did. And they look amazing. And Keith said, okay, I want to see before and after pictures. That was, uh, I didn't take any pictures of it before though. I can only provide after pictures. And actually one of them, I'm actually not going to mod because this is, this is interesting. We just hired um, a new developer where I work Mm -hmm. and the November employee newsletter came out. And because he's new, they did a little thingy on him uh, in uh, the newsletter and it mentioned how one of his hobbies was console gaming, especially oh. retro ones, including in television and Atari 2600. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to him. I was like, dude, I'm in the midst of cleaning and modding two Sears light Sixers. He said, I've been looking for a Sears Atari 2600 to balance out my collection. So uh, I was like, you know what? I have two. <laughs> this looks like the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Yeah. That's oh, an well, impersonation I can't I don't do. Know. Yeah, I don't even know what you were trying to impersonate. So I was trying to do Bogart. Oh, good grief. But yeah, um, I no, I wasn't trying to do Charlie Brown. Yeah, I was telling him that uh, you know I'm, I'm modding them, I'm cleaning them. He said, he said, well, I'm looking for a, for a Sears, but, but I don't want it modded. I was like, oh, you know what? I haven't started modding it yet, so let me just finish cleaning it up, and you know, we'll see what we can do. And think what I'll do is just work out a little trade with him. He says he has like a butt ton of duplicate cartridges. And uh, I just might take all of his duplicates, whether or not I already have them, just so I can send them to uh, Atari Age and get some Atari Age store credit. Atari credit. Mm-hmm. 
So that's uh, that's always nice to find somebody who's into the classic console gaming uh, where you work. I don't know of anybody where I work that's into that sort of thing, but but then again, they're you know I don't know. So um, I think we should do some news here. Uh, first of all, okay, do we really want to do the everything we know about the Atari bikes, or we just want to drop it? Because at this point, we don't I'm know. Any, just I don't know anything interested. further, and you know, it, it just I don't know. It, to me, it sounds like a cluster. You know what I'm saying? Maybe not a cluster on the level of the Coleco Chameleon, which we've talked about that story. But I'm, just, I guess my interest in this has faded, has passed. I don't know. Should we at least play the theme one last time? All or right. the intro, I should say. All right, go ahead and intro it. And let's do the intro. Here's the intro. It's time for another edition of Everything We Know About the Atari Box. All righty. Thank you much. And now let's close it. Everything We Know About the Atari Box. Ah, there we go. That, that was a good segment there. Good segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and I think we should file that under a new segment. The less said, the better. So, And with that, we got more news. Um, actually, a couple oh, of interesting tell. things happening at uh, Galloping Ghost this weekend. Uh, you could take one or the other. Couple of th- what's happening at Galloping? Go- Keep in mind, this weekend the show might not yet be out, so it might be too late anyway. Oh, that's right. This will probably be the weekend before then. But uh, yeah, um, somebody was uh, apparently playing uh, Death Race 2000 uh, for reals oh, uh, yeah. with their car on Ogden Avenue and crashed into Galloping Ghost. Fortunately, it was just their office building. And uh, they were still able to get it cleaned up in time. The building is actually okay. just punched a hole in the side. And they were still able to have their swap meet. Oh, uh, speaking of swap meet, thanks to one Tim Foley. Tim Foley. Uh, I, yes, because I happened to happened along after the uh, ride on the, the bicycle ride on the Illinois 390 Tollway, which was a fun event that I went to with my son. And he gave me a copy of the... Official, not a copy, actually, a real copy, a real uh, Centuri Gyrus service manual with schematics, part names, part numbers, and everything. You know what that tells me? What does that tell you? Somewhere in the world, there is somebody with a Gyrus machine who doesn't have a manual because you have it. Probably the one that he sold. Play instructions. Fly your plane along the circle orbit using the eight-way joystick. Shoot the enemy formations, blah, 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 blah. And there's a lot of information in here we could have used during that episode. But, uh, yeah, it's got all the schematics and everything. And part numbers, and this is just really awesome. And if I knew how to read schematics, I'd build my own gyrus machine. Uh, let me see what else happened at Galloping Ghost. There was, um, oh, I noticed this, and I don't... Uh, maybe I should ask Doc if we can talk about this. But although he's been talking about it, but uh, pretty soon, probably by the time you hear this, uh, Doc is actually opening up a dojo. Well, not a dojo, but like uh, a gym for like training in like MMA and stuff like that. Because it's obvious Doc works out. <laughs> if you've well, ever seen him, he's a, he's a, he's a short guy, but um, he's, he's he's pretty muscular. Pretty, He's pretty muscular, yeah. In fact, there was and, either a uh, picture or a video posted on the uh, Galloping Ghost Facebook page uh, in the last year or two. He was actually bench-pressing a customer. Oh, wow. And, and uh, he's actually uh, in the Dark Presence game as one of the characters, and um, I'll just leave it up to you if you ever get to see the Dark Presence game that they're working on to find out which uh, which character is him. But, uh, yeah, he's um, 
pretty muscular. So, uh, so he's, uh, it's just seems to be a natural progression, but it's, uh, the galloping ghost. I don't remember the actual name of it. I'll have to look that up again, but, but yeah, so he's open to that. And then, um, the arcade now has a long lost, uh, game that was introduced on the 28th of October. And damned if I can remember the name of it. That's stalker. The specter files. That's stalker. That's stalker from the, from the specter files. And um, that's a Laserdisc game, which, unlike Dragon's Lair and games of that ilk, which pretend to have some sort of some sort of interactivity where you can just move the character along at every at any turn, this game actually knows what it is and basically presents you with a series of choices, and uh, you have to tell the game what you want to do, you know, and the story plays out. And it's not pretending. That it's you can move the character anywhere with you know, because there's a joystick on it, and it I really like it. I think for what it is of what they were trying to do, it's a good game. It's it's worth a try. I mean, I played it. They had it at uh, Midwest Gaming Classic this year, and um, what I saw, I really liked. So, you know, if you ever get out to Galloping Ghost, give it a shot. It's a it's a good game, and uh, it was funny because I was reading some of the story on this, and uh, Doc and uh, and Brian Cullen were uh, were talking about games that. Uh, that Brian had made and that had never got released and they brought up Deathstalker uh, from the Spectre Files and um, he wasn't sure he even had the video for it anymore but uh, he found the video and um, Galloping Ghost and uh, Game Refuge uh, put it together and now you can play it so there you go there's, there's that and I don't have any more news do we have anything coming out from any of the other arcades uh, yeah, there's actually, there is a movie that's currently being rehearsed and storyboarded at uh, Underground Retrocade. In fact, possibly oh. as we speak. It's, uh, I, I posted a link to this other video in on our uh, Facebook page. I mentioned some time ago that uh, there was a documentary crew at uh, Underground Retrocade, and I went there to talk to them and all that, and I actually got some camera time, much to the chagrin of the entire YouTube world. <laughs> and I think it's those same guys who are doing a movie about uh, basically a day in the life of an arcade owner. Mm -hmm. And so they're hanging out at Underground Retrocade right now, and... Uh, uh, working out some details. I don't know if they're actually going to be doing any shooting there, but um, they're there and it might have some kind of relation there. But hey, it was uh, worth uh, mentioning that. So might be worth keeping an eye out if for no other reason, just for that movie. I thought they had uh, a TV show there recently, like Ghost Hunters or something like that. Oh, I, I if they did, I'm I don't remember. Hmm. Oh yeah, and uh, old school gamer magazine. The first issue was out. I think we mentioned that magazine last episode. I believe we did. Yes. Yeah. So uh, if you have a subscription, you should be getting a paper copy of the first issue very very soon. And of course, mm -hmm. you can access the digital copy anytime you want. I didn't get a good look at it yet. I just haven't had a lot of time. Mm -hmm. but, yeah, uh, I haven't. I just flip, I flip through it really, really quickly. It seems to be kind of a, uh, uh, just, Hey, here's, here's who we are. Here's what we're all about. Blah, blah, blah. So kind of like an episode zero of a podcast. Yeah. 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 A lot like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is all the rage with the kids these days. That's another, that should be on the pie factory bingo board. All the rage with the kids these days. We never did make that. Did we? Do we ever say that though? I don't remember seeing it. Yeah. I've said that twice today. Maybe we haven't said that. It won't be on the board. 
you can mark it off on the wild space. I will say this. Any of the arcades, if you know of any arcades in your area, like them on Facebook or whatever, because a lot of times they run promotions. Um, Pixel Blast and Onet Gaming both run a lot of promotions. They had a, they had a thing at uh, Onet Gaming for Halloween where if you went trick-or-treating there, you got a, a free one-day pass for their arcade. Yep. And uh, Pixel Blast is always giving away, uh, giving away passes. So like their pages on Facebook. Um, also like uh, Galloping Ghost and Underground Retrocade and and any other arcade you can think of in your area. Um, I can't think of any across the country. Uh, what's Vic Vic Sage? Uh, Vic Sage. What is his? His is the Arcadia Retrocade. That's out in California somewhere, I believe. You know they might have stuff going on too. Just if you know of an arcade, like their Facebook page because they always got some sort of uh, some sort of a contest going, some sort of a giveaway going. Uh, get in on that. And honestly, let us know about it too, because yeah, we yeah, talk about true. we talk about our arcades all the time. Let's hear about other ones too. Yeah, you know what? This is this is a call to action for our listeners. Tell us about the arcades in your area. Uh, yeah. Send us a, send us an audio exactly clip, an audio yes. file. And if you're the owner of one of the arcades, get in touch with us. Yeah. Uh, we'd like to talk to you. Oh, by the way, um, I had heard, speaking of arcades, I heard that Richie Knuckles is taking some time off before he gets a new location. Okay, so then, yeah, I'm going to New Jersey in a few weeks, so uh, I so, guess yeah, I don't have to bother going not to be open. Yeah, I saw a thing on his personal page where he had a uh, a uh, showing his passport. I guess he's going to Australia for. A oh while. right, right, yeah. Because I was going to comment. I was like, "Geez, I know you're looking for a new location for your arcade, but come <laughs> on now." But uh, yeah, I Perth needs an arcade. But yeah, sometime uh, Thanksgiving week, I might be taking another trip to Silverball in Asbury Park. So. You know, if you're going to be in New Jersey, you're not going to be a whole heck of a lot far from uh, from Ferg. Yeah, Del- oh, believe me, I thought I've thought about that before. Even my wife said, "Yeah, well, if, you know, if we're going to Maryland or something, why don't we pull over and you know, you can hang out with Ferg for a while." And uh, there you go, Ferg. But, uh, you know where to get in, to- get in touch with us. The only thing is, we're not going to Maryland this year. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I don't. I I don't know. I mean, I w- he's like on my holy grail of people to meet. Like he and Phil. And um, who else? Definitely Greg. Well, if you, if you drive out there, you could uh, swing by Tennessee and visit Phil. Yeah, except, well, no, no. If you drive out there, you're not anywhere near Tennessee. And we're Yeah, flying. you'd be south. Yeah, you'd be south. You have to go through Pennsylvania. Yeah. That's north. Yeah, yeah you go yeah, through yeah, Indiana, yeah. Ohio, Pennsylvania, and then you're in the Garden State, as it were. Or was what was George Carlin's thing about the Garden State? Sure, if you're growing smokestacks, there you go. That's it. <laughs> thing is, though, he's got such a provincial view of New Jersey because he's from right over the river in New York City in uh, uh, White, White Harlem, Harlem or Morningside Heights, and all yep. he saw of New Jersey <laughs> was the smokestacks and the pollution that is all over the part of New Jersey that you see from New York City, but it's not in the rest of the state. Most of Jersey is like farmland and stuff. New Jersey's got some beautiful bits, uh, especially like around the Delaware Water Gap area. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then again, that's also where uh, Camp Crystal Lake is. So, you know, watch your step. Why, snakes or something? Watch out for snakes. Yeah, more like watch out for serial killers. Mm. I guess that's Too all much the milk, right? Too much, yeah. Mm-hmm. See what yeah. I did there? Yeah, I see what you did there. Well, actually, I don't because I don't have my uh, webcam on. And neither do I. And you know what? I actually put some uh, black tape over the built-in webcam on my iMac here. So even if I had it on, you wouldn't be able to see me. 
Yeah, well, I see enough of you the way it is. I did that at um, my wife's request when she had to borrow my computer once to do an online thing. She's like, I don't want people to see me. Put some black tape over that. <laughs> or you could just turn on the effects and, like, she could have, like, puppy dog ears and a puppy dog nose, you know. And then it follows her face pretty badly. I always love that. Anyway, I think that's all the news we got. Uh, do we have any addenda and errata? Yeah, kind of, sort of, in a way. Yeah, kind of, sort of, in a way. Kind of, sort of, in a way. Kind of, sort of, in a way. Yeah, what? That, well, that does. I don't think it really fits in with the. Uh, maybe it does. I don't know. I'll go for it. You never know. But hey, um, so let's see. Uh, we heard from RJ on Atari Age. Talking, Hi, RJ. Hi, RJ. Talking about uh, episode 64, I believe. Oh, yeah, I know what you're going Yeah, when he was talking this. about. We were talking about Long Duck Dong from. Uh, Whatever that stupid movie is that I didn't like, yeah. 16 Candles, love that movie. It's the only movie I ever snuck in to see. Automobile? Inky, how's that CV Super Action Controller holding? Yeah, how is that Super Action Controller holding up? Uh, I haven't used it in a while, but it still works pretty well for the last time I used it. Good, good. And and, um, what else was there? Oh, let's see, we got something else. Uh, Oh, yeah, we got an email from uh, Daryl Decker, who I believe is also from the city of Chicago. And he says, not Sean Duck Dong, hashtag fail. Yes, I Which, saw that. And the thing I is, like, something that, that I'm kicking myself in the head over, I don't know if you were, we should have had Hyde drop in that little gong sound from the movie. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, the little racist gong sound. Yep, yep. Oh, gosh. That was, that. I loved that movie. I thought it was so freaking funny. But hmm. that's just me. I guess I thought that was funny and I hated the breakfast club. Yeah. The nerd got screwed over so badly in the breakfast club. Oh, I still haven't watched that angry video game nerd video, by the way, about Polybius. I watched it. It, It's pretty funny. Most of his recent output this year has been kind of weak, but uh, that one was pretty good. Probably the best one he's done. this year. I heard Tim and Andy talk about it. I'm really looking forward to it because yeah, I mean, I've been timonized. I want to hear that thing now. Timidize. Sounds like something you do to your car. You've been timidized. Timidize your car. No, that's armor all. You never saw the Three Stooges commercial for Simonize? Nope. Ah, look it up on YouTube. It was a later thing. No, you can get it in a spray can. Uh, was it Curly Joe era, I take it? Yes. Yeah, I'm not going to be watching it. I liked him a heck of a lot more than I liked uh... Joe. Joe. Oh, God, I hate him. Stop it, you king. You see, I, right. I'm a curly guy myself, and here's oh, the I thing. I love curly. I used to watch Stooza Palooza. I don't think Rich Coe's does Stooza Palooza anymore, but he he was obviously, obviously more of a shemp person. I like shemp, too. He's okay, but, you know, it's like, okay, he's got dude. His own, he's got his own thing. Dude, you showed 19 shemp episodes in a row. Let's have a curly one. I don't know. I like shemp. I, I can go either way. Shemp was originally there before curly. That's shemp. very true, yeah. I gotta watch that uh, uh, telepic docudrama about the Three Stooges again. That was a good. That was a good movie. Anyway, that's all the uh, addenda and errata that I seem to remember. Do you? Is there anything I'm missing? Perhaps nothing that I can think of. Huh. I want to think I had something, but I don't remember. I was gonna say I saw a ducky and a horsey, but I changed my mind. So, what do you say we talk about some games now? I say we talk about some games now. Awesome. You know what? I'm going to do the gentlemanly thing and 
talk about Lunar Lander first. That way, the more fun game, we can talk about second. Or something. I don't know. I, this could go either way tonight, I guess. I'll talk about Lunar Lander first because you hate it. Oh, did I just give something away? Oh, I'm so naughty. Nutty I am. All right, well, let's talk about Lunar Lander. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Lunar Lander. <clears throat> Lunar Lander. Yeah. Um, actually, I was going for more of a home improvement uh, grunt there. <clears throat> oh, Lunar um, Lander. Uh. Lunar Lander, Atari, 1979. Yes, it was Atari, 1979. Black and white vector game. Object is pretty simple. Basically, just land your Lunar Lander on the planet. Uh, preferably on, the on planet? a... On the planet. Wait, why would, it, why would you land a lunar lander? Why would you land a lunar lander on a planet instead of the moon? Hence the name lunar lander. Economics. Um, yes, land your land, lunar lander on Luna. Seven seven three two zero two. Luna. The moon, uh, preferably on a two, three, four, or five times bonus landing pad before your fuel and time runs out. Totally forgot there's a timer on it. Uh, your controllers, you have a thrust lever, a throttle lever, basically. A thrust lever? Lever. Twist a button and push a lever. Uh, you have rotate right, rotate left buttons. You have an abort button, and there's also a select button. And of course, your start button. We, we never talked about the start button, but I did here. I have no idea why. Uh, screen is set up thusly. On the left side, you have the score, your timer, and your fuel. On the right side, you have your altitude your horizontal speed, and your vertical speed. The lunar surface below actually scrolls if you go too, uh, too far to the left or the right. And uh, you start the game out with 750 units of fuel on your lunar lander. It is operator selectable from, I believe, 450 to 900. Uh, if you can find a machine that has 900, play it. Uh, but I, you probably won't. 750 is the default and get used to it. You're going to use every single one of those before you crash. Oh, yeah. So, object of the game, as I said, is to loon, to loon, to land, loon, loon, yeah, loon, land your lunar lander on Luna successfully. 877-241, Luna. And uh, to do it successfully, there you can either do a, a successful landing, a hard landing, which... Uh, says it damages something on your on your lunar lander, but uh, it doesn't really affect the gameplay. Or you can crash. If you land successfully, it will say, Eagle has landed. For hard landings, landings it'll say something like, your communications, whatever, module was destroyed on it. And if you uh, crash, it'll say something like, created a crater two miles wide, or you just crashed a however many millions dollar piece of equipment when you crash. No survivors. No survivors. The The game has four different difficulty selections. And this is interesting because you can change the difficulty selections at any time during the game. You don't have to do it before really? you hit the start button. And I tried that out in MAME uh, before the show tonight, and yes, you can. Wait, how um, do you do that? There is a selection button. Oh, okay. There's on the control – or is it on the control panel? Is it on the – I think it's on the control panel – it's like four boxes that explain the different difficulty selections, and then there's an LED, then there's a light bulb underneath, and it'll light up which one that you're playing. The first one is uh, the training mode, which is light gravity. You get friction from the atmosphere and controlled rotation. That means if you thrust while left or right, you'll go 
you know, left or right or whatever direction your thing is, your, your lunar lander is facing. In cadet mode, you have moderate gravity, no friction, uh, which means that uh, you go, you, you won't slow down, and a controlled rotation. Prime means strong gravity, which means you will sink to the, you'll, you'll fall to the lunar surface like a rock, uh, no friction, and controlled rotation. And the command difficulty, moderate gravity, no friction, and rotational momentum. That means if you rotated your ship left or right, and then you adjust a little thrust, it will slowly turn. Slowly I turn, inch by inch, step inch by inch. And if you, uh, I did this because I thought it was fun. I turned to the right and then just put the thrust all the way up. And my lunar lander spun out of control until it crashed into the ground. That was fun. Sometimes it's just fun just to play this, just to crash your lunar lander. At any rate, scoring. Not a very high-scoring game. Um, no. 50 points for a good landing, plus you get 50 fuel units as a bonus, and you'll need every single one of those. 15 points for a hard landing, and you actually get 5 points if you crash your lunar lander. So it's not for naught. And then, of course, uh, there are landing pads that have a two times, three times, four times, or five times multiplier. So if you get a five times multiplier and you have a good landing, 250 points plus your uh, 50 fuel units as a bonus. Now, does the multiplier um, also multiply your score if you get a five for crashing? That's a good question. I do not know. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting indeed. Oh, and here's a little interesting tidbit. Uh, a crash happens when the vertical speed exceeds 15 and the horizontal speed exceeds 31. So get those under control. Pay attention to your your speed and altitude indicators at the top right. Of yeah, the you don't want to have an altitude screen. problem. <laughs> like us. Uh, some trivia about the game. Uh, there's not a whole lot to talk about in this game. It's actually really rather simple. Approximately 4,830 units were produced. The original price was $1,695. It's about $3,000 too much. <laughs> it was licensed to Sega, actually, for the Japanese market. This is interesting. Lunar Lander was Atari's first vector game. We talked a while back about Atari's last vector game, and this is the first one. And this is interesting. Um, Lunar Lander was inspired by a game called Moon Lander, which was uh, written by Jack Burness in 1973 as a demo for the DEC GT40 Vector Graphics Terminal, uh, and the game used a light pen to control thrust rotation. The first few hundred asteroids machines were housed in Lunar Lander cabinets. Atari also donated a gold version of the coin-operated video game to the Discovery Center of Science and Technology in Syracuse, New York. On June 17, 1980, Atari's Asteroids and Lunar Landers, Lunar Lander were the first two video games to be, ever be registered in the Copyright Office. So that's kind of interesting, I think. Yeah. And uh, there's actually a, a good article on uh, technologizer.com about Lunar Lander uh, from the 40th anniversary. This is uh, from 2009, obviously. And it uh, delved into the history of the game from its earliest appearances on computers to the more recent consoles as of 2009. This is an interesting bit of trivia, but I looked into it and it wasn't everything that it seemed. What I read, what I saw in several... A YouTube video is about the game, says that if the player lands at just the right spot, a McDonald's supposedly appears. The astronaut would leave the lander, go to the McDonald's, order a Big Mac to go and take off again. If the player crashed into the McDonald's, the game displays the message, you clod, you've destroyed the only McDonald's on the moon. Now, that, I was, like I said, saw in videos about the arcade lunar lander. 
and read in articles about the Arcade Lunar Lander. Interestingly, one of the articles that did not have that tidbit of information was Wikipedia. Well, I was looking on some forums. I was researching different versions of Lunar Lander on different computers. And from what I've seen, that this may not have been in the arcade game, but rather on the game we talked about a moment ago, Moon Lander, which arcade Lunar Lander was based on. So I highly doubt this was actually in the arcade code. If anybody out there has seen it in the uh, arcade Lunar Lander, uh, write to us and let us know the yeah. email address at the end of the episode. Or it was Pie Factory at Fab4IT.com or Pie Factory Podcast at Fab4IT.com. Fab4IT being spelled F A B and then the actual number four and then IT.com. Yeah, you know what uh, Sean's favorite band is. So if you've seen it on the arcade game, email us, let us know. But I don't think it was ever in the arcade code. Yeah, and uh, we certainly would have seen it on YouTube. Yeah, you would definitely have seen it on YouTube, unless nobody knows how to unlock it, which is a possibility. How many years went by before people realized there was an Easter egg in 7800 uh, Food Fight? Yep. I highly doubt it, though. I think people got the information of Moonlander confused with that of Lunarlander. And that is really all of the technical and trivia about uh, about Lunarlander. Um, Sean! Yes, I cede the floor to you. What do you have to say about Lunar Lander? Well, first off, I just wanted to ask you if uh, you had any indication of this. You said this is Atari's first vector graphics game, right? This is what I have seen in all my, in my research. Okay. Correct. Now, does that mean that all their previous games were those discrete logic games? Discrete logic, raster screens, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, this, this might have been, like, their first, like, actually programmed microprocessor game in that case i would think or maybe maybe not i don't know i don't think so i think this was i think there were other programmed ones before this one um because i know pong and breakout were both discrete logic those were definitely discrete logic and super breakout i think they went not too long after that into actual uh, microprocessors i'm pretty sure this was not their first actual programmed game okay yeah I i wasn't sure myself which begs the question, what would it be? Tank, I think, may maybe. I'm pretty sure Tank was discrete logic, too. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, that's why nobody talks about it, because it's discrete. Yeah. Don't, oh, I hope Doc anyone. gets, like, Tank 8 someday. Yeah, like he'd have the room for it. He'd have to put that in the, um, On the, roof. the other building. <laughs> but uh, so what else do you have to say about Lunar Lander other than it's your most favorite game of all time? Oh, yeah, my most favorite game of all time. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, well, I actually was paying attention to you for the first time, but I don't remember hearing you describe the actual control panel. Like how does one thrust on a standard lunar lander cabinet? You have a lever. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You did say that the lever. Yeah. Yeah. You have a lever. Remember we made that, that the whole joke from that bloopers album, twist a button and push a lever. Oh, I missed that. You must've missed that. Why do I, I even bother? I don't remember days? that from being in a bloopers album. I'm sure it, it is. Was. There are like several it of was. them, but <laughs> yeah, um, quite a few of them. And of course, and uh, uh, almost all of them on Amazon in MP3 format, by the way. And I bought them all. <laughs> ah, too bad. Most of them are fake. Yeah, I know. But, but what are you going to do? It's still funny. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, thing is, I found Lunar Lander to be equally playable, whether it has the lever or whether it is a converted asteroids cabinet. 
In other words, not playable at all. Not playable at all. I once in my life on the arcade, I played the arcade version many times at Galloping Ghost, which is where I first saw it. Mm-hmm. I knew of its existence. I just never actually saw one until I started going to Galloping Ghost. Once I managed to actually successfully land, and I think it was a hard landing at that. Yeah, that if if you land in this game, it's almost always going to be a hard landing. And the thing is, like uh, earlier that night when I did that, uh, Duke was there too that night, and he and I were talking about how that game is impossible, and neither one of us could think of anybody we've ever known to actually land successfully. So I decided to try it. I tried about thirty-five times, and I finally got it to land. And I don't think Duke believed me when I told him. <laughs> the one thing about the game that I had never realized until I started playing it recently was the abort button. And what that does is it basically straightens your ship and, and thrusts you out of the situation. If you Yeah. Will. And I, I had never used that because I thought it, I mean, it uses 120 to 100, I think 180 units of fuel, but it might be a lot better to do that than to, uh, crash because you lose fuel when you crash too uh yeah the game, oh by the way the game ends when you uh, when you run out of fuel yes and crash. yes that's a that's uh, a i'm not sure how the time factors into it is there a time limit i don't well, i mean know. there is a timer but how does i, I never really paid attention i want to say it. that it's only based on your fuel i could be wrong about that though yeah I, i'd have to play that some more because i'm not you're gonna crash i guess long before the timer runs out yeah so there's that and one thing that made the game a little tiny bit easier to me is when I realized the fact that you can land on any flat surface, not just anything that has a two, three, four, or five bonus multiplier. Oh, yeah. And uh, so that might make it a little easier to find something a little closer in your trajectory to uh, to land on. You won't get as many points. You won't necessarily get bonus. Well, no, you still get the bonus fuel. But uh, that might be a good way to rack up more bonus fuel so that you can you know, play the game better later on or something. Again, it depends on how much fuel you got. Yeah, this this game is insanely difficult, but I love the sound effects in this. Oh, game. you know what? The sound is awesome. It this really game, is. This game, and really, I love the graphics in this game too. The graphics I mean, they're, they're are simple. okay. It's the the, the graphics are of- simple. I love the look of the Lunar Lander, and I love how when you're starting the game, the uh, the everything is like from at a distance, but once you get closer to the surface of the moon, it zooms in. I like how that happens, and I just love the way the little Lunar Lander looks and i love how when you crash how it just blows to bits and i really like love the graphics in this i think they're better uh even though you know they're still black and white but i think the graph i think the graphics are better <laughs> on this than they are in asteroids personally but the sound of, i just love the sound of that engine it's just got some nice freaking bass in this game yeah seriously the cabin it'll vibrate if it's turned up like oh yeah in, i mean any this- kind of audible you Rainers. know what I might do is I might just do a mixtape of nothing but uh, mixtape, mix MP3 of nothing but sounds from Lunar Lander and blast that out of my stereo in my car. There because you I go. have all the youngsters looking at me as I'm driving down the street. And I'll just look at them and I'll go dubstep, you know, kind of make one of those uh, make one of those faces at them. It doesn't really work good when you don't have a camera on your podcast, but uh, whatever. Well, can you take a picture of that face and post it to our Facebook page? Or I sure can. Or the forums sure at Atari can. Age? Or, yeah, I can do that. Or Atari.io? Or... I'll probably forget, but I can do that. So, um, where was the first time you ever played it? The same place I said about three minutes ago. Ah, uh, that was? The same place I said about three minutes ago. Oh, okay. I first played this game, of all places, take a guess. 
thing is, even though you've probably seen my notes. Um, I didn't see it in your notes, actually. As I was at the very tail end. Huh. Let's see. Um, I'm going to say 7-Eleven. Nope. Uh, that game place. Nope. Aladdin's Castle at Northern Illinois University. Nope. Of all places, it was at Chicago's Museum of Science and Industry. Oh, yes, yes. I think I mentioned that in a previous episode, actually. No, I yeah. actually did see that. I just don't remember waking up today, so. Per- Chicago's Museum of Science and Industry. And uh, as I was said in the in the trivia portion, that uh, Atari donated a gold edition of it to the Discovery Center of Science and Technology in Syracuse, New York. And this would be the kind of game that would be definitely sold to science museums. And to be perfectly honest, I think this game works great. It's a museum dis- demonstration of physics. Yes, yes, and, it and I think in does. that in that context, this game is great. Yeah, but for this something is, you, that is, you theoretically would pay honestly, for for seven hundred and fifty units of fuel. Honestly, this game is actually more educational than Professor Suckman. Dude, Chiller is more educational than Professor Suckman. Yeah, but this actually you can actually learn something from. Uh, anything is more educational than that, but you know. But this is actually an educational game, and it's if you look at it as a game that has that's educational, I think it's it's successful in that in that realm. If you like, I said, put it in a science museum in an arcade, maybe not so much. But if you're in a science museum and you see this thing going, you're going to want to play it. You know, not so much in an arcade. In an arcade, you're going to go right to the asteroids machine, which is next to it. So, I don't. I don't hate the game. I don't really love it either, and it's not one that I go to uh, when I'm in the arcade that often, if at all. So, you think we're ready to rate this game? Well, sure. All right. You want to go ahead and rate uh, it? Yeah. Why don't you go rate it? I think I already know what it is. Oh, I will rate it. Okay. Well, I rate. <laughs> I see what you did there, you. Anyway, um, let me see. I know who my dad is. Now, the thing about Lunar Lander is it is, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Great educational piece, great for museum, but we are a arcade game podcast, not a museum demo podcast. Mm -hmm. For its purpose, its purpose was to go into an arcade and make money. I'm not paying money to freaking waste on something that's impossible to, or at least virtually impossible to do the intended goal. But that's why I mm-hmm. still haven't bought impossible mission for the Atari 7,800. And, um, it's very angering, but at the same time, I cannot in good consciousness give lunar lander as low as one continue, because the fact is as angry as that game makes me, I still went back to it and kept trying until I successfully landed. Oh, so you are surprising me. There was something there that made me come back. And I think it was just the anger factor and just to prove that it was impossible. And unfortunately I proved it wasn't impossible. (laughs) And at underground retrocade, I played it only because it was part of a turn. That reminds me. I, when, when I was at underground retrocade before, the flooding that prevented me from going to Keith's party. I totally forgot to pr- to uh, pick up my prize. So I, I still don't know what my prize is for winning Uh-oh. the amateur division of the, uh, the tournament. But, uh, and in that tournament, I scored 30 points on lunar lander, 30 points. Ooh. So you crashed six times, huh? 
I think so. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I scored 30 points. And um, I didn't land. I'll put it to you that way. I might have cra- that might answer the question. I might have crashed on a multiplier, but thirty I'm points. I'm gonna have to look at that. Thirty points, and I just gave up. I was like, "Screw it! I will try to make up for the low score on other games." So I can't, in good consciousness, give Lunar Lander just one continue. So I will give it two continues, and that is it. Graphics are good. Sound is amazing. Playability is for squat. Wow, you actually surprised me. I thought you were going to give it a one. And actually, when I was playing this in MAME, I do what I normally do and turn some cheats on just to see what I can about the game. That's how I figured out that the, the actual main screen scrolls, and it's actually a continuous like loop and, uh, and stuff like that. But I also played it quite a few times in normal mode. And I had to try the different the different difficulties and flip between them while playing, and that was an interesting uh, experience to say the least. And I have to agree with everything you said and everything I said because if I disagreed with what I said, then I must be schizophrenic or have multiple personalities because those are not the same thing. And um, it's not terrible; it's just not for arcades. Yep. And because of that, since we are an arcade podcast, I have to rate it a two as well. Wow. I can't hate I, I can't hate the game, but I can't love it. But it's as I said, not for I'm repeating myself again. I do this all the dang time. What? That's why our podcasts are ninety minutes long. So yeah. There we go. Right, now I got a question for you though. Apparently Lunar Lander as a, at least a standalone title is not available as a Atari 2600 conversion, but I could have sworn, I could have sworn that there is a early 2600 title that has Lunar Lander as a selectable game variation. Yes, there is. I think, um, I think it's Starship. Let me, let me check That's what it I out thought too, Atari but then really I looked quick. at the manual and I couldn't find it. I'm wondering, is there like a Sears exclusive title? I don't know. That um, might do that? Let me uh let me see. I have the star a starship right here. Where's the selection matrix? Here it is. Um Oh yeah, there there it is. There's a lunar lander on the Lunar Lander, but I believe the Lunar Lander is not the same as the arcade. Hmm. Now Lunar Lander is available on like of course many compilation CDs and whatever that packages games, whatever, on modern consoles, but you know, that's really a given. Oh, you can, it's part of the game room in the Microsoft store, I see here. Are you playing it right now? Uh, no, I'm selecting it right now. Uh-huh. Hey, speaking of which, where did my game now I'm go? I had my desktop. And interestingly, it the joystick is doing nothing on the Lunar Lander game. Huh. Does it look like the arcade game, or? No, it looks like a severely malformed Space Invader with a bouncing chocolate chip cookie to the lower right of it. I gotta see. What's uh, election number, is it? 12. 12, okay. Starship, where is it? There it is. You've explored space. Now your mission is to explore the moon. You control the lunar lander on the space window with your controller joystick. You've You've explored space. Now explore the moon. Wouldn't you have had probably explored the moon first? I don't know, but... And they tell you to use your controller joystick. Oh, this looks nothing like the arcade game. 
Oh, that's right. I got my controller plugged in. What am I doing? I don't even know what I'm doing here. How are you able to control it? I'm not. The controller works because it does stuff on the other variations. Oh, using the right controller. Oh, that explains it. I hate when they do that. Oh, and I think it's one of those two minutes, 16 seconds games. Yeah, this is an abomination. Oh, man, this is like nuts. You got a um, a little asteroid, a little asteroid floating through. The thing is, I don't know if I'm landing this thing properly or what. It, it, this doesn't make sense because your your joystick moves your thing around, and you just touch the asteroid and thrust, and you and you count to land. Okay, I got to try another variation here. Isn't this amazing? You're hearing this live, and you know no live? sound effects, so you guys listening to the podcast will have any idea what we're doing. What did I just do here? There's a variation of Lunar Lander where you got to avoid the stars that are going up and down on the screen. Um, okay, I guess whoever programmed this obviously never, ever, ever learned anything never about played astronomy. Never Lunar Lander. You know, I bet you could take the the engine from the 2600 Gravitar and make a, 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 make a Lunar Lander out of it. Oh, easily. yeah, well, that's part of the game almost. Yeah, we, 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 that's a game we need to talk about soon. That is, there's so much to say about yeah, that. I've never played the arcade version, but I love the 2600 version. I really do. The 2600 version is fun, and it's a hard-ass game. In fact, I uh, was going around uh, MAME the other day and uh, actually saw a couple um, Atari Vector prototype games I had never seen before, and uh, they were early prototypes of Gravatar. And uh, it was... Uh, I think it was called like Lunar Battle or something like that. And so it was right near Lunar Lander in the list. So that was interesting. But Gravatar is going to be in an upcoming episode. Don't you worry. So I think that's it. We have all we have to say about Lunar Lander. And Except we should acknowledge people who have record scores. Oh, yeah, scores. That's right. So let me scores. see. Um, according to Twin Galaxies, now by, basically both of these yeah, by, by, both of these scores that I'm going to talk about are based on default settings, a single credit, 750 units of fuel. Okay. Um, oh, I did forget to mention that you can add more fuel to your ship by putting more tokens in. Exactly. So this is one of the first, if not the first, uh, one of the earliest uh, games where you can actually put more tokens in for more fuel. Yeah. Kind of the gauntlet thing about more, you know, health for tokens. So anyway, continue. Anyway, Dan Whitmarsh. Sounded like Tim on the most recent uh, Super Podcast Bros. Yeah, I know, I know. Except I got more than three hours. I I have more than three hours before I I don't have to get up at 3 a.m. But anyway, uh, Dan Whitmarsh scored 2,075. That is the world record as recognized by the Twin Galaxies scoreboard. 2,075. All together now. How? How? I don't know. is again as we said how I how is know. that possible i don't know i don't know and unfortunately it was before they got the upload a video submission technique so you can't watch the video so but, what's uh arcade say well arcade says something different uh by the way dan whitmarsh's score was verified on july 8th 2010 and uh, arcade.com shows david nelson reaching 1,525 points, same settings, 750 units of fuel, 
and that was performed May 29th, 2003 during Fun Spot 5. That would require a lot of soft landings on five times multipliers. Yeah. No, six. Only six landings. Only six soft landings on five times multipliers. No, I'd like to see James White play this game. See see what he does with yeah. it. Yeah. You know what? Get all of the get all of the, the high scores. Jamie Tibbetts, James White, Matt Burke, Tim Vander Coke. Vander Coke. Uh Pete Hahn. I want to see Pete Hahn play this. What are the high scores on this at Galloping Ghost? Pete Gores has the highest Galloping Ghost record. I think it's uh, Galloping Ghost because he's a yeah, he Pete Gores with fourteen hundred and seventy five Oh, um, let's see. Let's see. Uh, Jamie Tibbetts is on there with 1200. Um, let's see. Anybody so a else? good score is possible. Yeah. And I think the next galloping ghost player after that is Mozzie's Hagopian with 875. And uh, let's see. Again, Br- Brian Keita is a uh, galloping ghost person. 755. Uh, Doc, 525. Fred DeHart, 525. Stephen Lucas, 525. Uh, Sean Quigley, 275. <laughs> uh, That's not a hard list to get on. Hmm. Yeah, well, James, I, yeah, James White, 160. Wow, he's yeah. got to step his game up. Yeah, Tim Foley, 90. Chris Teeter, 25. Matt Rocco, 25. I could get on that list. Man. Just five crashes, boom, you're in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they... Oh. they well, keep in mind that well, the lowest score listed is five. Uh, oh, geez, see, Steve, so that's a crash. And there's a and uh, number fifty-two on the, the tied for fifty-second place is one of the guys we'd mentioned as having a world record in a previous episode too. <laughs> so yeah, wow, wow. This. So hey, if you've never played Lunar Lander before, that's the kind of scoring range that uh, that this game's going to have. So yeah, yeah and you're going to fall yeah. closer to the five points than anything. Yeah, unless you're a really good player, unlike yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. Although you're the one with the world record. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. Should we close the door on this game? Shut it. Shut it. Alrighty. So I guess that means it's time to talk about Red Baron. Red Baron. Ah, Red Baron. Ah, I, yes, yay. Woohoo, Red Baron. I, I really hate Red Baron, I just want to say. I really do. It's the most disgusting pizza I've ever had, except for their Mexican pizza that one time I had. It was actually pretty good. And actually, I can't just blame Red Baron, but any frozen pizza that comes wrapped up in cellophane inside a cardboard box, they all have this really weird flavor to it. Did you ever notice that? Only if I forgot to take it off the cardboard when I put it in the oven. Even even regardless, it still absorbs that flavor. So, Red Baron, I give a one. What about you, Jimmy G? Uh, I am slightly confused. Why? Well, I pretty much always You told me to talk about Red Baron. The video game, the Atari Vector video game. Hello, McFly. What? What? Oh, f- <laughs> Hold on a sec, everybody. Okay, now that I finally got some clarification, I went and I did some research, and I'm going to share what I found with you all, which is what we do on every podcast. We do the research, and we share what we find. Uh, We're not experts at all. We just like video games. But anyway, um, from what I can tell, there's some dispute over when Red Baron was released. It is an Atari vector graphics game, 
I believe the copyright date on the screen is 1980, leading some people to believe that that's when it was actually released. But according to uh, one source I saw, uh, the cockpit variation, it's a two-piece cockpit cabinet. Oh. was uh, Yeah, it's basically made modularly so it can be uh, moved easily. So you oh, actually I gotcha. you piece okay. it together as one. It's kind of like the uh, X-Men cabinet. Arcade over game, at, yeah. At, uh, yeah, it's six pieces, I think. But um, the cockpit version came out in May of 1981. And there are some sources that say that the standard upright version actually came out a month later, which kind of hmm. puts that 1980 date in a huge dispute. And uh, for what it's worth, the operations manual has a 1981 copyright date. So do with that what you will with it. I will fold it up and make it into a paper airplane. Or you know what? Give it to Tim Foley. Oh, there you go. There you go. But uh, anyway, um, Red Baron was developed. I don't, okay, here's something that I don't understand. Another source that I saw said that Red Baron was developed at the same time as Battlezone, which is why the two games use virtually the same hardware. However, that would make sense. it would make sense, except that, a lot of Red Baron machines are actually converted Battlezone cabinets, which would kind of imply that Battlezone was worked on first. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't able to locate uh, anybody who could uh, clarify, verify that for me. But regardless, many people consider Red Baron to be kind of an aerial version of Battlezone. Which, yeah. Which I can kind of see. I can kind of see. Yeah. Um, going yeah, back to the hardware. Plays like it. Both Battlezone and Red Baron are based on the Motorola M6502 CPU, which was the hot microchip at the time. That and the uh, Zilog Z80, of course. And, of course, because it's an Atari arcade game, the sound is produced by Pokechip. The difference between the hardware on Battlezone and the hardware on Red Baron is that Red Baron has an additional auxiliary board that is there to do some special 3D calculations due to the way that the game plays. And mm-hmm. uh, the, that auxiliary, auxiliary board was programmed or designed or whatever by Jed Margolin. The rest of the game was designed and programmed by Rich Moore. And the hardware is courtesy of John Ray. And the technician, I don't know what the technician's job is, but that's Joe Coddington. In summary, Red Baron is kind of sort of a vector graphics flight simulator, except that instead of just simulating a flight, you are actually playing a air battle in World War I for the Allies against the German Air Force. You control a biplane, and you must shoot rounds of bullets at enemy planes before they shoot you. Destroy four enemy planes, there is an airship, a blimp that appears. And uh, by the way, good luck shooting that thing, because you move a heck of a lot faster than the blimp does, so you're going to be out running it all the time. But uh, after a while, after the blimp shows up, you're going to see a tank and a pillbox. And uh, if you don't know what a pillbox is, now my understanding is that a pillbox is basically a small protective guard post, kind of uh, not quite a bunker, more of a very sturdy shed with small openings where you can uh, basically fire weapons out from inside. I thought you were going to say it's a little container you buy at Walgreens to put your antidepressants in. And they say SMTTWTF. S on it or whatever. E-I-E-I-O. Yeah, LSMFT. But anyway, after the tank and the pillbox appear, there is going to be a pyramid-shaped thingy. I think that's the official term. Thingy. And a 
kind of a random building, and uh, you're supposed to try to destroy both of those things, the pyramid and that other building. Uh, if you don't, you don't. You just get another round. And as you make progress through the game, the air enemies get much more aggressive, and the ground enemies as well, and they start firing at you. The first couple of rounds, they don't fire at you. But uh, the way the game scores is the enemy planes are worth anywhere from 10 to 300 points, depending on how far away the plane is. And from my experience, really the only way realistically to get 300 points is if you happen to shoot the plane the second it appears on the screen, the very instant. And if mm -hmm. you manage to pull that off, you get 300 points and you'll hear the uh, little charge tune. And uh, if you shoot a blimp, you get 200 points. If you shoot a tank, you get 250 points. A pillbox is also 250 points. The pyramid thingy and the random building are worth 100 points each. I thought the pyramid thingy, if it's what I'm thinking of, I thought it was a tree. Well, everything says, even the manual says it's a pyramid, so. Oh, okay. Because I'm like thinking, I might be killing people that are out for a nice Sunday picnic. You might be. Well, hey, look well, at, they uh, oh, what was that one game we did recently that I really hated? You actually get points for shooting bushes. Oh, what was it? It was uh, that Sega game, I think. The one oh, we did oh, oh, Outrun oh, oh, Space Harrier. Space Harrier, that's right. Yeah, thank you. But um, anyway, if you don't shoot an enemy plane in time, it's going to end up behind you and you're going to get a warning on the screen. You know what that warning on the screen says? Behind you. Behind you. Yes. So unless you're really good and can hurry up and get out of the way, as soon as that message appears, you're pretty much dead. Pretty I think much. I was able to escape that once in the many times I played this game. I think I was able to escape it a few times. Anyway, um, you lose a life, you lose a plane, whatever. If you're gunned down, obviously, and you know you're about to be gunned down if you see bullet holes on your windshield, uh, if you crash into an enemy or if you crash into a mountain, then you lose a life. Another interesting, I kind of like this little feature in the game, is that uh, when you fire your gun, it's a rapid fire. It's like a machine gun. Mm -hmm. and if you keep doing it and don't ease up, the gun will overheat and you won't be able to, uh, to fire it until it cools off. It takes a couple of seconds to do that. So that's an interesting feature there. And of course it could mean losing a life if, uh, it happens to overheat in the wrong time. So that's really the game right there. I don't know why it's called red Baron because I don't think that character actually makes an appearance. And just to give you a little mini history lesson, red Baron is the nickname of Manfred von Richthofen who was a World War I fighter pilot for the German Air Force, and he is a flying ace credited with 80 air combat victories, and his winning streak came to an end on April 21st, 1918, 11 days before his 26th birthday, and he was shot down and killed near Volsusalm. Dude doesn't make an appearance in the game, as far as I can tell. No research shows me that he's in there. Never saw him. So, I don't know. By the way, the podcast that I uh, listened to, uh, uh, skeptical podcast I listened to, Skeptoid, a few years ago had an interesting uh, episode about the Red Baron and myths surrounding the, uh, the Red Baron, so you might want to give that a listen to, unless it's a really old version, in which case you have to be a premium member, but you can also, you can still read the transcript on Skeptoid.com. Go there, search for Red Baron, and it's uh, quite interesting, actually. We should probably do a, a transcript of Pie Factory podcast. I was just at a, uh, a conference on web accessibility a couple of days ago, and uh, kind of made me think that. Let's run this through, like, some kind of uh, uh, audio transcription thing and just throw it out there. And uh, Pie Factory podcast is now in Braille. There you go. 
But um, anyway, um, there. And the thing is, Red Baron in and of itself, that game is very, very interesting because it has some features I've never seen anywhere else. For one thing, there's a dip switch setting that's that says one play minimum, and you can either enable mm-hmm. it or disable it. And uh, I, I looked through the manual. I couldn't find it. Doesn't mean it's not there. It just means I couldn't find it. But I tried playing with and without it. And for what I could tell, the only purpose of the one play minimum option is if you enable it, you actually get two games for one credit. Oh, okay. So that's that's interesting. I don't see what that one play minimum is. But uh, And speaking of two games per credit, Red Baron is the only game I've ever encountered yet in which I don't think you can play a multiplayer game. It's just one player. You put in two, cre- put in two credits, and it doesn't matter. It's gonna, there's, it's gonna be a one-player game. I've seen other games like that, such as uh, you men- briefly mentioned Battlezone. I believe that's a one-player only. Though that would make sense because they're essentially the same hardware. That's just very, very I interesting. So. In fact, when I played it in May, I, Galloping Ghost has Red Baron, but I didn't. I, I wasn't able to make it to Galloping Ghost in time for this episode, so I played it in Mame. And um, I didn't even have to push the start button. There is a start button on the control panel, but at least in MAME, I didn't have to push the thing. Yeah, all you have to do is, like, coin up. Yeah. I noticed that, too. And speaking of the control panel, the control panel consists of uh, the start button and a trigger-style joystick, and it is a gimbal joystick. Like the department store from uh, Miracle on 34th Street? Or in Gimbals. real life, you, you might say. Or in say. real life, yeah. Spelled differently, actually, G-I-M-B-A-L. It's an analog Uh, joystick that uh, was also in another Atari game called Food Fight. So they used a gimbal joystick, trigger-shaped, and the fire button is on the trigger itself. I just found that interesting. I was like, whoa, that's a gimbal? It's an analog joystick, and it triggers potentiometers underneath it, kind of like what the Atari 5200 joystick does. But, um, yeah, and let's see, what else do I have to report about... uh, Red Baron. Um, oh, you know what? We should have an edition of Video Game Physics for this. It's time for another edition of Video Game Physics. In today's edition of Video Game Physics, we learn that biplanes cannot crash into flat ground. Isn't that something? I was wondering about that because you have to go pretty low to get the ground targets because you don't have yeah. bombs. You've got to shoot the ground targets. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could crash into the ground. No, uh, biplanes don't have that ability. There's something hmm. in there that forces them to be at least a millimeter off the ground so they don't crash. However, they can crash into mountains. Hmm. Like they can, I they, wonder if maybe the, the ground is made out of rubber and cotton candy and the mountains are made out of uh, concrete. Might be. I, I don't know, but uh, hmm. anyway, that, that was uh, today's edition of Video Game Physics. Uh, like to talk about home ports because, you know, we're home video gamers, especially of the retro kind. However, there weren't any home ports of Red Baron unless you want to count those uh, Atari multi-game packages that are really just emulations of the arcade games. Mm-hmm. There, It's on a lot of those. And uh, let's see, my notes say discuss where saw. I already said where I saw. Uh, Jimmy G, Mr. Uh, Tonight's uh, moderator, where did you... C slash play Red Baron first. I see or saw <laughs> Red Baron at uh, actually first at that game place. Ah, in, Jefferson, Jefferson Square, Square Mall. Mall. Yeah, and here's the thing. I never played it. Oh. Never played it. 
until I saw it at Galloping Ghost. No, 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 no. I played it somewhere else before then, but I couldn't tell you where. But I first saw it there, and the game just did not look interesting to me. And so Hmm. I never put a token in it. It just didn't look interesting. And I finally played it, and I'm, I guess it's okay, but it's just not interesting to me. You know, it wasn't interesting to me at first, but after I played a few more rounds of it, I was like, this is kind of fun. I got to say this. I don't like the sounds in the game. It just sounds too electronic. You know what I mean? I don't remember much about the sounds. It's just not that memorable. To me. Yeah. It, it, does, it doesn't have the Unlike booming. Unlike Lunar Lander, which Lunar yeah. Lander, pretty poor game. Awesome sound effects. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was expecting that. It's like, oh, Atari. Uh, it's an Atari vector graphics game. You know, they're going to be some really cool sounds. Not really. Not really. Vector with Pokey. Vector with Pokey. Yeah. That's my new comic strip, by the way. Oh, really? Vector with Pokey. Oh, man. Is it like, is it a continuation of that darned? Uh, it was that darn, by the way. And yeah, maybe. I don't know. Oh, awesome. Hmm. I should still get back into doing that. Yeah. At any rate. At any rate. Uh, speaking of rate, how about rate of scoring, perhaps? Yes. Uh, this us. time I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to start with Orcade.com. I'm not sure how this gentleman's name is pronounced, but I'm going to guess James Piawatz, Pawatzi or something. It's P-A-O-Z-Z-I. His high score is 35,460, which he performed at Galloping Ghost on July 9th, 2016. And then going over to the Twin Galaxies scoreboard, David Palmer, verified July 5th, 1985, scored 447,860, oh, wow. which is a huge, huge score because this huge, is a yeah. Red Baron is a very low scoring game. It seemed like a lot of those vector games from back then were low scoring. Even Asteroids yeah. was low scoring, but it was. The, the, the difficulty in asteroids was such that where it actually could, you know, get higher, higher scores. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but the actual points you got were not anything astounding. Yeah. And to get a bonus life in red Baron, it's not many points. It's only a, you know, a few thousand points. I think I don't remember off the top of my head. I think the lowest you can set it for, for the first bonus life is 2000. And I think the highest you can set the first bonus life for is like 5,000 or something. <laughs> So mm-hmm. it kind of shows you how low the scoring is in this game. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah. And, um, yeah. well, heck, speaking of uh, any rate, uh, which you spoke about uh, two minutes ago about, uh, mm-hmm. what rate would you give this game? What rating? Well, you know what? <laughs> this, this game just doesn't grab me. It just seems like there's just really nothing special about it. We've made comparisons to Battlezone, which you can First of all, it seemed to me like the vectors in Battlezone were wider, thicker than they are in Red Baron. In Red Baron, Red Baron looks dim to me, uh, a la Asteroids Deluxe. Yes, I thought the exact same thing. Like when I played this in MAME, I had to crank up the brightness all the way. Yeah, and I, this the sound is not memorable, uh, which is really sad because you know Atari, Atari games generally had pretty amazing memorable sound. And, and, graf- and even the graphics, too. I mean, the, the, it uses the QuadraScan yeah. monitor that had a really good reputation. And it, it just, I don't know, it just didn't doesn't grab me. I mean, it, it, the gameplay, I don't know. I mean, it, it plays a lot like Battlezone, which, again, we have yet to talk about, because uh, you can get destroyed from behind. And uh, it has a lot of the same physics without, the, without stuff you can hide behind. But uh, it just feels very generic to me. I can see I guess that. It's just the best way I can put it. So I, can s- I, I can't, I, I, I'm going to rate it a two. Wow. I just, okay. I just, this, this is just not a very 
good game. I mean, I understand why people like it, and I do get some enjoyment from it, but just not a lot. It's not a game I really go back to. I mean, I can't in good conscience rate it a one, but, you know, I don't know. Yeah, two for me. I'm actually going to go higher. I'm going to say three, a solid three from me. I think part of it might be because when I did the research, I found out that it's basically a really an air version of Battlezone. And spoiler alert, I do not like Battlezone. But I found it to be a lot more play. I found Red Baron to be a lot more playable than Battlezone, and I was actually enjoying it. And I do see myself, next time I'm at Galloping Ghost, I probably will give it a shot on the actual machine. I just think it's a solid game. It's not the greatest in the world by any means, but again, I, but I can see getting bored with it after too many plays though. Mm-hmm. So three from me, three. But I guess with that, we should probably talk about the theme. Well, that's a good idea, Jim. Let's reveal actually, no, no, I would rather have a guy named Bill Pepper reveal the theme oh. for us. Bill, what's the theme? Hey everybody. Bill here. I'm the host of the Atari Bytes podcast, but I also host a podcast called It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown. And it's in that role that Sean and Jim invited me to be here today to announce this episode's theme. And here's why. If you know anything about the Peanuts comic strip, you know that it stars everybody's favorite beagle, Snoopy. How is that relevant to the two games you just heard Jim and Sean talk about? Well, here's the thing. Snoopy has a very active fantasy life. Frequently, he pretends to be a World War I flying ace, zooming through the skies in his Sopwith camel, seeking desperately to shoot down the evil Red Baron, and usually failing. But what about Lunar Lander? That one's a little less obvious. NASA named the Apollo 10 Command Module Charlie Brown, and they named the Lunar Module Snoopy. So there's your connection to Lunar Lander. Also... As a little bit of extra trivia for you, NASA has an award called the Silver Snoopy, which is a sterling silver Snoopy lapel pin that has flown on a space shuttle mission, a certificate of appreciation, and a commendation letter for a NASA employee which is signed by the astronaut. And it's the astronaut who presents the award to the employee, and it is given for outstanding performance, contributing to flight safety and mission success. So there you go. A Snoopy-inspired theme, which in my opinion is the best theme you can have, and a little bit of extra trivia thrown into your pie factory. Now I'd like to spend an hour or two telling you about Peppermint Patty. And, oh good grief, here comes Sean and Jim. I better get out of here. Later, everybody. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. It happens monthly. It is released on the 15th of every month. It is a very nice podcast. I learn a lot from it, and I'm, I've been a lifelong Peanuts fan myself, and I'm still learning new stuff about Peanuts thanks to that podcast. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And he's also the host of Atari Bytes. So, yay, he's got two connections to this episode. Wow. Two okay. for the price of one. Wow. And a fun fact for you. You familiar with the Royal Guardsmen, at least a nope. little bit? Nope. They are a band from the 1960s oh, on Laurie Records. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I know of course, you're talking they about had them. a big hit called Snoopy versus the Red Baron. Um, Bernadette, could you please uh, give us a few seconds of Snoopy versus the Red Baron, just enough so that it, we can claim fair use? Now Snoopy had sworn that he'd get that man, so he asked the great pumpkin for a new battle plan. He challenged the Thank you, Bernadette. Fair use. And um, anyway, fun fact about this song. I only learned this recently. The Royal Guardsmen, when they recorded that song, were afraid that Charles Schultz might sue them. 
So they recorded another version of that song at the same time so they could have it in the can just in case they got sued over it. And they called it Squeaky versus the Black Knight. The squeaky and swore that get that man. So he asked the great leader for a new battle plan. He challenged the German. <laughs> I don't know why they had to change the Red Baron because Red Baron is not copyrighted. That was the nickname of an actual guy. But they changed the Snoopy character to a chipmunk, either a chipmunk or a squirrel named Squeaky. And uh, that version actually did get released. Charles Schultz did sue the Royal Guardsmen over that song, just like they thought they might be sued. So for a brief time, they actually did reissue the song as Squeaky versus the Black Knight. But they reached a deal with Charles Schultz where Schultz said, tell you what, go ahead and do your Snoopy songs. Just make sure I get a cut of the deal. So that that's how that resolved. And there were several more Snoopy songs, including Return of the Red Baron, and uh, Snoopy's Christmas, which you'll probably hear very soon on the radio, and Snoopy for President. So, a little fun fact. I'm actually surprised Charles Schultz sued over that because I, I don't see him as lit- never saw him as the litigious type. I was surprised too when I found that out. Huh. The more you know. And learning is half the battle. Yo, Optimus Prime. So, I think maybe we should reveal the, uh, the games for the next episode. Oh, dude. And then maybe we should for, we should probably thank some people afterwards. Oh, dude! Actually, I yes. think I'd rather thank the people for. I mean, I, I don't want to stop. No, why don't feet. we do that? Yeah, let's because thank the, the people. Yeah, first. let's let's not uh, delay them. Uh, I'm going to go from the bottom of my list. These are in no particular order how I listed them. So I'm going to start from the very bottom of the list and read up. Uh, thanks, of course, to Steve Tuey for his support on Tuiville.com. T-O-U-H-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com. One of these days, we're going to put a permanent link to that in the on our website, piefactorypodcast.com. Don't we have a links section? And is there anything in it? That's exactly what I'm talking about. There's nothing there. Oh, okay. Well, you'll be the first. Yeah. And thank you to those of you who have been sponsoring us over patreon.com. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash. Well, you'll hear our booth announcer say it at the end of the show, I have forgotten the exact URL. That's her actual name, Booth Announcer. Yes. Uh, so thank you, Tim Foley. Thank you, Atari Yo. Bytes Podcast. Thank you, Kyle Yo. Adder and Jonas Yo. Rulo. Yo. And Underground Retrocade. Yo. And Keith Sheehan and Richard Yo. Valdez Yo. and Rory Coleman and Greg Yo. Polander. Yo. And Art Guglielmo and Yo. Nate Lockhart and Michael Yo. D'Angelo. Thank you for your support, Yo. everybody. And thank you for, and those of you who don't support us on Patreon, thank you for your moral support and immoral oh. support. And uh, the night we're recording this, I went through our uh, Twitter account, and uh, if you're following us on Twitter, I uh, went and followed you back. So you you're go. being followed by Pie Factory. We're stalking you now. Oh, should we? Uh, should we warn the fair listeners about uh, what we were talking about before? Yeah, we probably should. Okay. Um, Sean and I have made an executive decision, even though we're only junior executives, and uh, we that. decided that we are going to take a brief hiatus for the month of December. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, uh, we decided it's, uh, you know, December, people are generally busy with, you know, the holidays and all that crap. and uh, Including uh, the two of us. Including the two of us. And uh, we have been kind of, honestly, maybe a little, little tiny bit burned out. We figured maybe a little brain relax, relaxing would be in order. 
but uh, we're not quitting the podcast at all. We're just taking a little time. We're having a vacation. Yeah, we'll just be back in January. We'll be back in January. And there's still and, one more uh, episode for November, too. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to have one more November episode. Yeah, and so, uh, what uh, we will do also um, for our Patreon sponsors is we will disable Patreon for the month we're taking off, so that way mm-hmm. you don't pay us for nothing. So, Yeah. Although, you know, but that's what my employer generally does anyway. So oh, that's true. Yeah. 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 And uh, something else, um, something that, that we've been pondering is Pie Factory Podcast t-shirts. A few mm-hmm. people actually have them. We ordered a couple for ourselves for uh, Midwest Gaming Classic and other such events where we want to uh, very shamelessly plug ourselves. And um, we're thinking of maybe making those available for purchase. So if you're interested in a Pie Factory podcast t-shirt, um, reach out to us through one of many, many forms of communication and uh, let us know, yeah, I'm interested and here's my size. Uh, going by American sizes, that is. Uh, uh, how much will it cost? We don't know yet. We don't know for sure. It depends on how many we can order and some other factors. But, uh, you know, we'll see what we can do. Reach out to me. I'll be there. Just look so. over your shoulders, honey. Yeah. So, yeah, um, if you're interested in that, let us know. Yeah. And with that, let's reveal the uh, games of the next episode. Oh, yeah, episode yeah, yeah. 67, yes. the last game episode of the year. Uh, oh. We're going to talk about Buster Brothers and Blasteroids. Buster Brothers and Blasteroids. Oh, speaking yes. of Blasteroids, uh, yeah, we better end really quickly. Yeah, uh, I kind of guess. I can kind of guess why. Because I really want to go play Blasteroids. There you go. I thought you were going to have to visit your uncle. Oh. No, oh, I didn't have to until you said something. Come on. Where would that come from? Oh, <laughs> dude. Dude. Remember that, uh, remember that notification we got about, uh, oh, what magazine was it? Nope. Apparently, in the Retro Gamer Special Edition that just came out, there is a write-up about a game that we've been obsessing over for the past two years, complete with a screenshot. Our uncle? No, no, no. The pit? The pit. Not the pit, but Tinkle Pit. Tinkle Pit. Tinkle Pit. Oh, I keep forgetting there actually is a game called The Pit. Yeah, they have that at Galloping Ghost, but they don't have Tinkle Pit. Doc is just teasing us. Just teasing us on I know he's got it hidden somewhere in his little, it's probably next to his theremin in his office. He's probably got the Tinkle Pit. Hidden in the Tinkle Pit. Yeah. I, by the way, people who are still listening, um, I am not kidding. Doc Mac has a theremin in his office. He's got a Predator motorcycle helmet in his office too. Good grief! But uh, anyway, but yeah, the uh, latest edition of a the special edition of Retro Gamer has an has a uh, single page write up about Tinkle Pit. So, and they didn't even did we mention get any us. credit? They didn't. Nope. Well, we we did say that we were try, only trying to make it a household name, not to make it a household name, you know, and mention us. So. Well, all right, fine, but still. So they went out of technicality. But anyway. All righty. So, yeah, Buster Brothers and Blasteroids. And we'll talk to you again in two weeks or whenever you decide to listen to the next episode. We don't know when you'll listen to it, but we'll release it in two weeks. So there you go. Yep. And... Bye. Bye. Mananitas. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. 
Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. My daughter just came bearing Taco Bell. Did you get fire sauce or the Diablo sauce? I know that we have hot. They got mild in there. This might actually be more interesting for the listener than what I was talking about. Um, I'm definitely interested. I actually wanted iced tea, but Taco Bell does not have good iced tea. So, at any rate. Whoa, what are you doing there? Scanning stuff? Why? I heard a... In the background there. No, that's my Marge Simpson impersonation, my feelings about uh, Lunar Lander. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm having a hard time ad-libbing tonight. Oh, tonight, right? Well, harder. Just tonight. Um, harder than normal time ad-libbing. And Super Podcast Brothers is going to take that clip out of context.